Welcome to episode three of Noise Tangent, the podcast where I talk to friends, small creators, and other creative types. Today I'm talking with Kazuki Kazuru Salafoska, a friend, fashion designer, and musician who I met at Penzik in the early 2000s. Please enjoy the conversation, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. So Kazuki, uh, how's everything going? I saw your uh, your Facebook post. You guys were in a little bit of a tight spot there with the <laughs> flooding in New York. Holy crap! Oh my gosh! Yeah, I had to go um, to my pattern maker's house in, up in um, north of New York City, and then coming back, coming coming through the Bronx. I thought I was being clever by taking the major highway instead of Parkway. I think Parkway was a river yeah. this afternoon because. Yeah. It was this torrential downpour situation, but I forgot that the major highway too has like these dips, you know. Oh yeah, where the and, and the water pools in the yeah, yeah. And I don't know what drain was doing; it wasn't doing anything. So there are cars like turning into boats. We we're all stuck behind that flood. Yeah, so, but we got out. Yeah. Yay! Well, that's good. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> I because you know I was at work and. Um, I get home and we're eating dinner and Patty was like, did you see Kazuki's post? She was all excited about us chatting tonight. I was like, no, why? She's like, oh my God, she was stuck in the water. And I was like, holy crap, you know? Yeah, no, my car was maybe 10 cars behind that. Oh, okay. Cutting got excited, jumped out of the car and with my phone to take a picture. <laughs> get back in here with my expensive phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got Sam, like a new Samsung. I was like, you can't get that yeah, wet. Yeah, do not get that wet. Do not drop it. Yeah, the, actually, I don't the, care if I have insurance. <laughs> well, the, the Samsungs, actually, the Samsungs, as far as uh, f uh, cell phones go, they're pretty uh, they're pretty hardy as far as getting wet and stuff. You know, of course, you oh, don't really? want to go okay. swimming with it. But, I mean, right, right. you know, it's certainly better than, like, a, a, the iPhones are just terrible. You get, like, if they get anywhere near, like... You know, vapor, vapor, <laughs> yeah, and it's like, like fritz out, and then you got to go get it replaced with another, you know, thousand dollar phone or whatever. Of course, right, right. any more the Samsungs are that expensive too. So I mean, you know, it's oh my god, yeah, I. Um, it's not even a matter my, of expense anymore. My old Google phone was dying. It it started reverse charging. Like I would connect the charge, it would drain it was, the battery. <laughs> you're like, wait, no, this is not right. What are you doing? So, yeah. So then. um I called Verizon. I was like, oh, I need a phone. And, and Samsung was like, they were having like a sales on Samsung. Okay. I think they were linking with like the whole BTS thing, like the, you know, K-pop craze. Oh, right, right, right. It was like, I see the Samsung's on sale. The lady was like, yeah, so uh, which one? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And then she's like, well, is it the blah, blah, blah? I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. And then it is like the most expensive one. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, that's the one they're going to push, right? They're not going to push the cheapy one. I didn't know. I was yeah. like, yeah, Samsung. Like, oh, how many Samsung could it be? Yeah. yeah. And it has like 10,000 lenses in the back, so it takes yeah. amazing pictures. I got, uh, I've got three and whatever that little sensor is on the back of mine. I got the, the Note, yeah. the Do Note 20. The oh, holy crap. No, I, uh, close. Yeah. You've got, well, I call this the spider. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, pretty soon, you know, the phones are just going to be all lenses on the back. Like eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, um, I, I have, I started a podcast and this will go on the podcast eventually. Um, but I basically just have, uh, chats with, uh, with, you know, friends or, and, or small creators. And you happen to be both. Right. Uh, so, cause your business is still, uh, you know, still, 
small to medium, I would guess. I mean, I don't very know. Small. But very, very small. Very small. Very oh, small. okay. All right. Um, like the first one I did, I interviewed a uh, a guy. He's a he's a film he's a filmmaker. He's an independent filmmaker, and he's put out a couple of films before. And he's got a uh, Kickstarter going on right now. Uh, last Saturday, I think. I interviewed a uh, a goth. Well, they're goth, metal, techno. They're a little ma- amalgamation of everything. But uh, they're right. a, a band uh, from Saskatoon up in Canada. Um, oh yeah, you told me that yeah. they sent you a demo or something. Yeah, and you loved it. They sent me. Yeah, they their music is actually really cool, and it goes really well on Signal to Noise because it's not really. You know, they're not strictly metal, they're not strictly goth, or they're not strictly one or the other, you know. And I'm like, well, that works well for my station, since I'm not one particular format, you know. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that makes it kind of fun. So the name of your company is, uh, pronounced for me, Kedish? Kedik? Kedik. It's K-E-D-I-C. Kedik. Fashion Workshop. Fashion Workshop, okay. So, like, what do you guys, what is your sort of main purpose i mean i realize it's fashion but like sort of what you know what, yeah, what's so, your concentration i guess right so there we're trying to feel like these two um services two kinds of services that we i found that was needed in fashion one of them which sort of like a general service where thanks to um like tv shows like project runway there are lots and lots of people who are driven to create their own brands, right? Yeah. And then Project Runway like omits a lot of information <laughs> on how to start a brand, mm, right? And yeah. like how to make sure that, that you make clothes that fit human body kind right, of thing. Right. So uh, we take care of those people, people who want, who have like great ideas about clothing but don't know how to execute them, right? So we sort of hold their hands, help them through like design process, help them through what we call pre-production process, which is the work that needs to happen before it hits the bulk production at the factory, right? Okay. Like making sure that all the documents that are handed to the factory make sense, make sure that the patterns are made to fit human body. Well, like basic things like having a sizing chart created for your brand, mm, right? Yeah. Like when you go shopping, menswear is pretty standardized, right? So if you mm-hmm. walk into a unknown brand, you know you you fit into pant like waist size thirty six or mm-hmm. thirty four or yeah. whatever. You usually can wear the pant just based on those numbers. Right. Women's wear fashion isn't that straightforward. Okay. They don't really go by numbers; they go by sizing. So like you might be size four at the gap. But if you walk into like, I don't know, Marc Jacobs, you're probably size eight, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, it's that, there's that much of it. Oh, holy cow. Yeah. yeah. So like stuff like that. So you need to have your own sizing chart that makes sense mathematically mm-hmm. and like to a human form. Like we help them with, so, so every step of the way, um, we help people create a brand. So, so, oh, that's cool. So you guys sort of help somebody with a... I say a dream, but an idea, or you help sort of bring that to life. As far as right. you know, you yeah. guys are sort of a do uh, like a consultancy for. Since you guys have done this before, it's like this is what you need to do. These are the people you need to talk to. Exactly. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. And another segment that is that we deal with 
with a bigger, slightly bigger client is this whole size inclusivity thing mm, in fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a th- conversation for about a decade now, but it's really been, um, people have been focusing on it for the past maybe five years, mm-hmm. where like 74% of female population in this country are considered plus size. Right, right. Every, size not everybody 14. is, uh, not everybody is uh, shaped like a mannequin. Exactly. Yeah. But majority of the brands have ignored that population, mm-hmm. which I mean, ethically is uncool. And, and I mean, business wise, it's dumb, right? Why well, I was about to say, yeah, I mean, you, it sounds like you guys could swoop in there and there's like a large segment of, um, a large segment of, uh, people, uh, that can, uh, be, I guess, catered to, you know? Yeah. Right. So what we do is we, um, help already established brands go into the, to, to help them expand their size offering into the plus size okay, area. Okay. And because they think they can sort of grade up from existing pa- garment patterns yeah. and that doesn't yeah. work. Oh, okay. And, and they don't, and grade, there, there's a thing called grading rule where, so the garment's usually made with like, you make a, a fit sample in for a fit model's body. Okay. And then from, and you make just one pattern, right? And you perfect that pattern to mm. make sure that garment fits beautifully on this particular On this person. particular body, right, okay. After that, you grade up and down from there. Okay. So, uh, but the, so the jump between sizes, we call it grading rule. It's sort of standardized, but not really. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, most people in the industry don't know the grading rules that applies to the plus range, which is kind of unique. So we help them with that. And then we help them with the kind of styles that are flattering or not flattering, the kind of tweaks you might wanna make to the style to suit the plus size body, to make sure that the plus size woman can have pretty much the same thing that the straight size women can have. Everybody likes to have stylish clothes. Exactly. And And, and then they need to fit properly too on top of that. And you know, it's, it's been this misconception that the plus size women want baggy clothes that's no they no. want tailored nice clothes. they want nice as fitting well as, clothes right yeah as well as like baggy clothes right yeah. they want options the same kind of options that the yeah, definitely. women have okay so we help establish brands get there nice so that's that's uh and then sometimes like those two things overlap sometimes there are startup people who want to just start out size inclusive mm, so yeah, like yeah. from size double zero to like size 22 kind of thing and then we help them do that too so we like facilitate we are consultants yeah Yeah, that's awesome so because i know you've worked in the fashion industry for a while um what made you decide to jump out of what you were doing before into this was it just the desire to say hey i want to have my own business or did you like see that gap and decide to you know, exploit, not exploited, but you know what I mean, to fill, yeah, fill yeah. that gap well, or, or was combination or what? It was sort of like um, evolution. I was a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. Like I was trained to be a fashion designer in the nineties. And back then designers did a lot of things. Like designers had to know how to make pattern, how to, you know, tweak the pattern to make the garment fit. Of course we had pattern makers, but we had to be able to communicate directly with the pattern maker. But over the, like once we hit like 2000, 2005 mm-hmm. maybe, there developed this new job called technical designer mm-hmm. who 
did that technical portion for the designer. So all designer had to do, have to do now, is just design beautiful things, hand it to the technical designers, and they deal with the Oh, and they figure out right. how to do the patterns and right. get everything to work. Okay, okay. Right, and the designers don't always have to know or have to deal with that portion right. now. But I'm the old breed where I can do both. Right, right. So and which sort of sometimes made it hard for me to get a job. Because when you go, go look for a job, you they ask you, oh, are you a designer or are you a technical designer? And I go, I can do both. Yes. So, you know, just give me a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can do either one. Let me know. Yeah, I'll, I'll hop right in there. Yeah. yeah. But like that conversation never went anywhere. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm consciously made a switch to technical design oh, okay partly because um i sort of got tired of dealing with non-technical people because mm -hmm. um in fashion industry is full of um decisions are made with gut feelings okay a lot of times yeah and when you apply that to, to the creative side of the industry where it's you know designing um if you're at the top of the food chain, that's fine because you're making the shots. Right. But if you have like a director above you who to you makes no sense <laughs> and partly because they're going by their gut feelings and not about data, not about numbers, because designing should also be about numbers and data as well as, right? creative as well as the creative side yeah i was about to say yeah, yeah. so then like there was a lot of bullshitting that happened so i just got tired of it and where technical design was just about execution mm -hmm. but it's there's also creativity to it too because you have to maintain the aesthetic essence of the style mm -hmm. as you make sure that it fits human body properly there's just not as much on the creative side in that role as it was for like right. a designer for example yeah okay so um and i got tired of talking to other designers who were clueless about yeah. technical things. Right, right. And I was like, well, I, I kind of don't want to be working with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then I made a switch to technical design. And then um, really accidentally, uh, when I was look, like switching jobs in fashion, people switch jobs. People used to switch jobs every two years or so. I think yeah. it might be a little longer now. Um, when I was looking for a job, I, I ended up at a, a company called Gwinnie Bee that was doing a subscription service to plus size women. That was oh. the very first clothing subscription service, like a rental subscription. To I plus think size I women. did. Was there uh, something? Did they get some press coverage a year or oh, two they, ago? They get a ton. Yeah. Yeah. I they remember. I believe I remember seeing something maybe on like CBS this morning or oh, yeah. like a CNN yeah. story or something somewhere like the, within the last couple of years. I think I remember seeing something about that yeah. actually. So yeah. their thing was like this creating this clothing rental subscription mm -hmm. service thing that were like you pay a set fee and then they just send you clothes that you choose kind of thing. And also they were trying to cater to the segment of population that never had access to real fashion. Okay. So did so, they send this clothes out and the people would keep them or? If they choose to keep them, they can, but okay. it's a rental. So oh, return, oh, I see. I see. You return okay. and next batch gets sent up. Like so you've got you, a, uh, you've got like some sort of a event coming up. You rent these clothes, you wear them to the event, you package them back up and send them back. Or Actually, you can keep them. They were they were designed to really be your closet. 
so regular clothes. Oh, clothes you, you wear okay. to the office. Okay. So, you oh, know, nice. All right. Play. Yeah. Cool. Because um, the the way subscription was set up was like two garments at a time or five garments at a time kind of thing. So if you get two garments in, in, in and then you wear it two days, you ship it back and shipping is, you know, like part of the deal. Yeah. They, they immediately when they receive those two garments, they send out the next two next garments. Next two, so okay. Within a month with a two garment deal, you could have like eight garments yeah. that don't go to your closet. Mm -hmm. And take up space and... Yeah, and yeah. something like 75% of average women's clothing in a closet don't get worn mm -hmm. for five over five years. Yeah, I can believe so, that. Yeah, so so they were like dealing with that, and then we I got hired to run the designing and like essentially production of in in house label clothing because oh. they couldn't find enough plus size clothes to right. rent out, oh, so they okay. had to manufacture them. Right. So in that, I got into this whole plus size thing, and I, like everybody else in industry, I never thought about plus size yeah. clothes. I mean, I I've worked for labels where the clothes I designed were also made for plus size but I like I would attend the fitting and I'll make sure the clothes fit but I never thought about like the percentage of women that fell in that category mm -hmm. or like how they didn't have access to clothes like you know it's sort of like now once I knew these numbers that kind of made me angry like you know the world should be fair yeah yeah and, the, and these like, ladies were being underserved essentially yeah like clothing it's it's vanity, but still, it's people need to look good. Like yeah, people sure. need to feel good about themselves. And, and clothing, like as silly as it is, helps you feel set the mood, right? Mm -hmm. Like how you feel when you leave the house in the morning, yep. or like how do you feel when you're faced with like a board meeting or right. you know whatever. Yeah. And everyone should have access to same amount of stuff, and these women don't, and that made me angry. Yeah. So when when um, the company, that particular company, Guinea Bee, didn't need my division anymore and I was leaving the company, I was like, why don't I just keep doing this? So it was sort of like, and there was a niche, right? Where yeah, right. I'm like, no one else can do this. Like now I'm an expert mm -hmm. at this. Like yeah, we've, yeah. we've owned somebody else's dime. I made <laughs> mistakes and I've come up with solutions yeah. in like so many different area. So, um, then that's how I decided to start this business. Awesome. And I, I never wanted to own a business. Never. I'm always lazy. I always <laughs> wanted to work for other people and right. just get paid. Right, right, right. But here, here we are. But uh, but now you work for yourself. Yeah. That's awesome. Which is great because then yeah. I don't have like silly people telling me how to do things where I'm like, you make no sense. Right. <laughs> well, so now do you, I think I remember you saying somewhere along the line, uh, you uh, have like a small office in the city that you go to like semi-regularly or regularly, I guess? Like yeah, is it like I, an everyday I, yeah. commute or is it just like every couple days or what, what do you do there? Well, before pandemic, yeah, yeah. I was there every day. Oh, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Um, but during pandemic, I went only when I had to. Mm -hmm. um, so for the business, we need the pattern drafting software, which is attached. Oh, it's, it's a little key that you can insert into the computer, mm -hmm. but not every computer can take it. Right. And the computer has to be set up to receive that. Sure. It's like a licensing thing. Like if you're, yeah, if the yeah. computer is not licensed, they call it per seat. So if you're, yeah. if the computer is not 
you know, in the database of licenses, it's not going to be able to run the software. So it has to be, uh, and I'm sure the software probably costs, you don't have to tell me, but probably a bajillion a dollars. Yeah. Like all those software, you know, cause like, for example, you know, in, in the IT world, which is where I live usually, um, the, uh, the big thing is, uh, you know, uh, PDF files and mm-hmm. Adobe Acrobat, you know, the Adobe Acrobat, the reader is free. They'll let you open up the, the PDF files all day long. But if you want to be able to edit them and manipulate them yeah, and do I, this and that, I, yeah, I that software suite. is freaking expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I have the suite and I think it allows like two or three computers. Yeah. Yeah. But they better be yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you and here's another thing too. When you again from the IT perspective, if you're if somebody's if somebody like ages out of their computer or they're stepping up to a new computer, you have to deregister the old computer and then re-register on the new computer. And a lot of times we would just move them and forget to do that, and then throw their computer you. onto a stack of like a billion other computers. And they're like, oh, we forgot to move the licensing. It's like, well, shit. The computer is like in this, (laughs) I know it's in this huge stack of other computers. Like, oh, dang. But uh, yeah, that's always fun. So yeah, no, I know what you mean there. Yeah. And and, and again, it's specialized software. So I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's Yeah, The software is in the office and the plotter for garment pattern plotting is like, I think it's 52 inches wide paper. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So like that, I can't have that in my house. Right. So. That's there, and uh, all the dress, the mannequins are there. Oh yeah, of course. So the pattern maker, as the pandemic started, she became pregnant. So that our main pattern maker um, also has a key set up in her her home computer. Okay. She could work from home, but a lot of times she still had to go in to the office to use the mannequin or just plot the pattern out. Sure. Uh, yeah. The plotter. Yeah. Yeah. So between the two of us, we were just going like whenever we had to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have the fitting with a fit model, and in that well, we would go in sometimes, but with a mask on and like windows yeah. open. And yeah, stuff. yeah. But now that uh, I know other parts of the country is still tricky, but New York, the COVID rate's super low. Yeah, it's, so, uh, it's pretty well under control in Pennsylvania too. It's yeah. mostly, I was listening to uh, news this afternoon, it's mostly a lot of the southeastern states and like Texas and stuff where they're like, we're yeah. not going to get those dang, you know, vaccinations. Like, okay, well, COVID it is because it's up literally 50% uh, up from where it was just like last week or something like that. And it's yeah. the Delta variant, which is like super, uh, super contagious. contagious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're kind of lucky here in PA that uh, when when that whole thing started, the governor was like, "Okay, everybody is wearing masks when you go out in public. If you go to grocery or the mall or whatever, you know, the places that were even bothering to open, uh, they're like, you got to wear a mask." And of course, people flipped out about that. But it's like, well, you know, this is the fruits of that labor is you know wearing the mask. Yeah, it was kind of a pain in the butt, but you know, you do what you have to do to keep yourself and to keep mainly to keep other people safe because yeah. you know it's it was one of those deals where you don't know if you have it so you don't know if you're going to transmit it to people but people don't understand that and are no. selfish so you know what are you yeah. going to do so aside from you know uh working what did you what like you and the hubby and the daughter what did you guys do to like keep yourself uh, occupied during uh during all the lockdowns and during the long like stretches of time at home so uh, Sato and I started teaching drumming a few times a week. Awesome. Like virtually, I'm assuming? Yeah, because cool. uh, I found myself like drumming was sort of therapeutic. Sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're stuck at home. Right. So then uh, I was like, why don't we, like, because we were just sort of jamming and mm-hmm. practicing. I was like, why don't we do this? 
but invite other people to join. So then we started doing that. And in the beginning of pandemic, I wasn't, because everyone shut down, like everyone. Yeah. So my business sort of froze. Right. So I had a lot of time. So like <laughs> we started teaching together, but then eventually I got busy. So just left him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're so on your own, pal. Yeah, and he was teaching like in three times a day, which oh, wow. helped. And um, New York State didn't close. He might have like first couple of weeks, but New York State did not close state parks. Really? So huh. we would go hiking. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And stuff. So we were out doing outdoor things, and we would just have the mask on when people were when there people came by. Yeah, we would do yeah, that yeah, too. Yeah. We because there's a walking trail not too far from here, and when we'd walk, we'd have them. But then if somebody was walking the other way, we'd throw them on for, you yeah, know, until yeah, they yeah, passed exactly. and we'd take them yeah. back off. Yeah. So we did a lot of hiking. Karin and I did a lot of hiking. What else did we do? We did a lot of cooking. And like, you know, when you're not out and about and you have to cook three meals a day, yeah. that takes up a lot of time. Hey. <laughs> cooking and eating and doing dishes. And doing dishes. Yeah. It's like, what have you guys done today? Well, we made food. We ate food. We cleaned up the dishes and we did that three times. And now it's time to go to bed. <laughs> I got so tired of cooking. I'm like, oh my God, like we just finished lunch and we have to start thinking about dinner. <laughs> we got to start, start the, the dinner process already. Yeah. I think music may definitely help. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And now um, I got the the whole DAW system set up and mm -hmm. I have that USB keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and I have like music coming out of my head. And I'm learning that thing. So like, I have this like, I have the finished sound in my head, right? right. But I don't have the tools to like, to get so it. like right, right now I'm like, beep, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> really frustrating. Yeah. Well, I, I think we might've talked about this briefly the other day. It's the same thing like with graphics programs. I mean, you know, I love doing graphics and experimenting with fonts and doing all this cool design stuff. But there's a, just a lot of stuff, and it's just because I've never really taken the time to really, like, you know. Well, plus, if I were to do something like, let's say, um, what's the, oh, Photoshop? It's like, not only is it, like, super advanced, but it costs, of course, because it's Adobe, it costs a billion dollars, and I can't afford it anyway. So I yeah. use a freebie, but still, there's stuff in there that I'm just like, I know what I want it to look like, but I can't quite figure out how to get it onto the screen to where it looks like I wanted to. I'm getting better with it. You know, it's just like a practice thing. I'm getting better with it, but nonetheless. It's really frustrating. Yeah, yeah for I have, sure. I have the Adobe Suite because I need it for sure. in business. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I, you know, I went to art school, right? So I, I draw and paint so much faster and better than with Illustrator. <laughs> so I use Illustrator really just for uh, what we call flat sketch, which is a technical clothing drawing, the line mm. drawing. Mm -hmm. I just do that because... I do, we do it in a digital form because next time we have, like, let's say I do a blazer mm -hmm. with all the details. Next time I have a blazer that's similar in shape with different detail, I could use that. You can use that as a template. Right. Yeah. Instead of starting from scratch. Right. Like, right. If sure. I were freehand yeah. Drawing, yeah right? definitely. So I do that, but that's pretty much all I do on Illustrator. Yeah. Photoshop, I, I can just manipulate things, but in, but then I'm manipulating. I'm not creating from scratch. Right, right. right like, I'm right, always right. just hand drawing and painting. Yeah. Well, I'm sure when you hand. went to school for fashion, I mean, that was probably, you guys probably didn't do a lot of computer. It was probably all just painting and drawing and sketching. Yeah. And, yeah. Especially since I went to like stuck up private school. <laughs> 
when I applied to the school, I was like, Parsons. I was like, so you guys do like computer stuff? And they're like, oh no, fashion? We don't do computer. I'm like, are you sure? They're like, no, we don't. So everything was by hand. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of good though, uh, you know, because you can. Computers, and you know, a lot of people will disagree with me on this, but computers are always something that you can learn later on. You know, it's like because it's part of our lives every day. I mean, almost regardless of what job you do anymore, you know, it's going to involve a computer somehow or another. And you're not oh, always yeah. going to have a I handy agree. IT guy right, you know, right around the corner to go and fix whatever you screw up. So, you know, a computer is a lot of times you can learn these things. So, and I, and part of, you know, I do uh, support, you know, IT and support, right? So a lot of times if I, if I get a call and I go and the person's having a problem with X, Y, and Z, I try, instead of I, and just fixing it and leaving, I'm like, oh, okay, well, here's what happened. You know, here's why you can't do this. You know, next time you see that happen, you know, close this window or this or that area. And I explain, you know, kind of how to puzzle through it the next time. Now, does that mean that everybody listens to me? No. Most people just <laughs> want their shit fixed and for right. me to get back out of their office, which is fine. I mean, you know, I, but a lot of times people be like, oh, hey, you know what? I, you know, I, it happened again. And, you know, because people will accidentally click on stuff and move stuff all the time. And I do you know, that all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I still do it. Like if I'm if I'm on the if I'm on the air or something like that, I'll hit a button on my keyboard and things are I'm like, what? What did I just do? Because <laughs> I got like four <laughs> monitors here that I got to deal with. Well, right, I don't have right. to deal with, but I do deal with, you know. But um, yeah, that, and that makes it fun, particularly when I'm, you know, live on the air. Like, well, uh, my playing software has just either crashed or shrank, and I can't find it. So you know, <laughs> I'll just hum yeah, a tune. <laughs> four monitors, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, well, two of them are are uh, are are the same though, because when Patty's in here. Uh, she sits right over here in this chair. There's another microphone there. So she's got a mirror. Um, she's got a monitor that mirrors my primary monitor here. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, also, so it's the same thing. Yeah, so it's the same thing, right? So if I'm playing whatever I'm playing or whatever's coming up next, and she, because on like on her show on uh, on uh, Sundays. She does the talking, so she wants to know what songs are coming up and all that stuff. So, you know, she's just she sees exactly what I do over here. It just makes it easier on everybody. Right, Although, yeah, cool. last week, she actually sat in this chair and ran the show and talked, and I just basically flipped records for her. That's all that's I did. That's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. She's getting a little more comfortable with the, the technical side of things. Now, you know, something needs replugged or moved around. I'm the one crawling under the desk, but, you know. Otherwise, uh, yeah, she uh, she ran the show the other day. I just basically uh, uh, dealt with uh, you know the vinyl over here because I got a uh, well you can't see it but I got a turntable over there. <laughs> it's covered with a terrible towel, however, though. That's, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, because I, I keep the dust and stuff off of it. But because right, you know right. I am in a basement. I mean it's, it's 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 a studio, but it's my basement, so it does get dusty right, right. down here. Oh man, so it's really good to see you and nice I, to see you. Yeah, and it's I was disappointed but not surprised that they postponed Pinzik again this year. I think it's I think it's best. <laughs> She's sticking her head in there. She's she still needs attention. Oh well that's fine. Um you know, I think <laughs> I think uh it was probably the right call, you know, to I wait another so. year. 
because um, I think it would have just been way too problematic because people come not only from all over the states but from all over the world and some people have been masking some haven't I mean you just you just never know some, some so, are vaccinated some are some not, are not right are not vaccinated for sure yeah 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 I just think that was the right call so this yeah. I think this year since I'm not going to Penzik I'm planning on going to Dragon Con down in Atlanta um, it's a big sci-fi. Yeah, a lot of my our friends go comic right? convention. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I used to go strictly to sci-fi conventions, but when I had heard about Penzik for years, but was never able to go. But then in two thousand one, a friend of mine was like, "Hey, you, you need to come Penzik with me," and I had the time and I had the money. It's so like, okay, I'll go with you, and I just fell in love with it, and I had been going ever since. So I literally haven't been to Dragon Con since uh, 2000. Well, 2000 was my last Dragon Con. 2001 was my first Penzik. So I haven't been to Dragon Con in like 20 years. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. you should go. Yeah, I am, and I'm going to stay with a friend of mine. And that's the 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 thing about uh, Dragon Con. There's like it it draws between 60 and 80 thousand people normally. Now, this, how big is this venue? Well, it's it's spread over like five or six hotels, and there's like a, a wow. convention center is the uh, like the dealer's room. I mean, it's huge. It's yeah, it's it's massive. They're they're kind of limiting the attendance this year for obvious reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's not going to be that many people this year. But next year, most likely, it'll be back up to their normal right, right, right. numbers. But yeah, so a buddy of mine's like, hey, you should come to uh, DragonCon. He's been going every year for, you know, 20 or 25 years or whatever. Right, right. Like, well, let me, you know, make sure the money is in, you know, is there. And, uh, you know, because one of the reasons I don't do drag, because a lot of people do uh, pins again, Dragon Con. It's yeah, pin, a lot of our friends do. Yeah, and I just can't afford that, you know, because, you know, Pensick's at the beginning of August. And uh, what do you call it? Dragon Con is at like right at the end of August or early, you know, September, whatever, you know. And right, it's just right. like I just can't, you know, uh, I just just can't afford all that. But um, yeah. I was one. I was thinking about. Uh, I told you, I think that uh, War of the Wings. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that the other day. Actually, yeah, yeah. that is actually a very fun. I've only been the one time. Uh, Josie was well. Josie and uh, well, Ted and Carla go. Um, but Josie, and Josie's going. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Amanda might go as well. Yeah, yeah. They've been telling me that yeah. I need to go. Yeah, well, Josie's been telling me that. Yeah, I need to go. <laughs> exactly. When I she loves it. She loves that. Uh, she loves that event. And uh, so I went, not last year, obviously, but it was either. It had to have been the year before. Uh, it takes place in October, so it's a little cooler than it is uh, when at Penzik. Um, right. It's a lot of fun, though. It's 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 you know small. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot, a lot of people there that you know already. Um, you know, we can all camp with Ted and Carl if we want to, or near them, I guess. Right, right. Um, so yeah, it's it's actually fun. They do uh, equestrian stuff there. I don't know if you're into horses at all, but they do equestrian I like to stuff. Look at them. Yes, me too. Exactly. Yeah, animals that big just make me nervous. I'm not quite sure why, but yeah. uh, I grew up in the country, but I've uh, we never owned horses or cows or anything like that. We had chickens, goats, and ducks, and a couple geese. That's cool, though. Yeah. Well, I I lived in uh, West Virginia, like like out in the in the hollers. Uh, from we moved out there when I was five. My family bought two hundred acres. Um, wow. Yeah. Is it still there? Uh, no, no, no. We sold it years and years ago. Because my That's my why you don't have West Virginian accent. No, no, I I don't. 
Um, I lived down south for 25 years and don't have a southern accent either, which is one of the reasons why I did as well as I did, relatively speaking, in radio, because I really don't have sort of a specific accent. It's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of, it's not really an accent at all, I don't think. I mean, every now and then, uh, you know, I'll come out with a fixin' to or a y'all, which is, you know, a leftover from down south. And, you know, now that I live up here, every now and then I'll, you know, throw a yens out there, you know, from the, the Pittsburghese. But generally <laughs> speaking, though, I don't have I don't have much of an accent, actually. No, and I was born in the Midwest. I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana. So and they've got a distinctive accent there as well. Not as distinctive as, say, you know, Pittsburghese or whatever. But, uh, right. you know. So, and, and part of that was my mom, too. She did not want me and my sister and myself to have a West Virginia accent or when we moved down south to have a southern accent. So, right. if we busted out with a y'all or a fixin' or something like that, we got a stern talking to a lot of times. So, you know, for good or bad, I mean, that's, you know, what it is. Yeah. Didn't people make fun of you for it? Your, your friends? Um, like, they, you don't talk like them? No, well... When we moved, not really, when we moved down south, I was 14, and I went right into, like, you know, high you know high school, I guess it was eighth grade. Well, it was high middle school. Well, they were still doing the junior high system back then. Right. So right. I was the, uh, when we moved down south, I was the highest grade of junior high, eighth grade, and then went into, you know, ninth. And I actually got made fun of for not having a southern accent got called a Yankee and, you know, much worse. I would imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you're um, being a stuck, you're being stuck up or something. I, I, well, I, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just, you know. And I, it's not like I gave anybody a hard time for having an accent. I mean, it is what it is. But, right. you know, my mom always preached, you know, you know, speak properly, this and that and the other thing. So that's just what I've always done, you know. Yeah. So um, I've always wanted to ask you, when did your family move over? So you were born in Japan, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, I came alone. Oh, My did you really? Still in Japan. Oh, yeah. I don't think I knew that. Awesome. Well, when did yeah. you when did you come across then? You know, I think nineteen. It must be like nineteen ninety. Okay. I graduated from high school in eighty nine. Oh, I so graduated in eighty eight. Yeah. Oh, hey. Yeah. Graduation is March. So I think I worked a little bit to like save up a little money and came on on, on in 90s. I, if I look at the passport, I would know yeah. for sure. But yeah, I think 90s. So that I was, that would make me 19. I was 19. Yeah, cool. So did you come over specifically to get into the fashion industry or just, oh, just a change of scenery? Or I mean, what were no, you? No, I wanted... Um, I think I was running away from fat my family a little bit. <laughs> I didn't know it then, though. Right. I think I was just trying to run away from my mother, really, overbearing. Mm. Um, but I think also I grew up in a countryside of Japan, which is a little more closed off and very, I mean, narrow-minded is not the right word, but it kind of is. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't fit in, right? Like the creative types never fit in anywhere. Yeah. If I had grown up, if I had grown up in New York, I probably would have fit in. But anywhere in the world, I didn't fit in. So I think I was, I didn't know I was looking for my tribe of people. Right. But I was like, this isn't it. Like where I am. Where, where, yeah. This is not it. Right. Yeah. 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 And I didn't know where it was, but I was like, just want to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So then um, my grandmother essentially um, was my sponsor to come here and to study. And um, 
I was going to be a painter. I was going to be a starving artist, yeah. which my grandmother didn't understand, but she loved me that she was like, okay, you want to study English? <laughs> <laughs> you learn English. English is useful. And my mother kept talking about MBA, like all Asian parents. Like, <laughs> you go into America, you get MBA from like Columbia or NYU or, right, whatever, right. or Georgetown, George Washington. Oh, yeah. I was like, no, no, that's not it. But yeah, yes. But I came and I, my, I was in fine arts major. I was um, going to be a painter. But then, um, so I was in, I came to DC first. So I oh, went, okay. I studied English as a second language for a little bit. And then I was doing a community college thing in Maryland in Silver Spring. Oh, my uncle um, used to live in Silver Spring, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 In a, a, a community college called Montgomery College. And it was for, I, I understand as far as community colleges go, they were pretty, like, good in terms of, like, teaching you stuff. And because um, I thought I was being clever, like, whatever, like, I was going to go into, like, fine arts major mm -hmm. and college universities four years I thought I was going to save money by doing community college for two years which is less expensive mm -hmm. and then two years in like university right, where right. you know I would have to pay tuition only for two yeah. years but then in the process of finishing up the community college I was like I had this like moment of clarity where like I grew up in a comfortable environment right we never starved like I grew up dressed and fed like middle class. Sure, middle right? class, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, am I really gonna survive a starving artist lifestyle? Like mm. it's romantic, Yeah. and I love to paint. I can paint all day, every yeah. day, but like, can I really do it? And I was like, I'm too soft for this. <laughs> <laughs> At least you realize that early on, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, no, I like, I will be unhappy. I was like, okay, so I just like to create things. Mm -hmm. So like what would be like, and I thought about architecture mm -hmm. and a community college, they offered like architecture entry thing. And I took, I went to take the class, I think like just to observe or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is super boring. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, like, my brother-in-law is the architect. He lives out in California. They're actually thinking about moving back East, but, uh, oh. he went to, uh, he graduated from Penn State University, and he's been an architect. He and he's lived out in California for like thirty years or something. But uh, right, yeah, especially like the beginner level, it was yeah. all about like boring stuff. Like <laughs> I was like, because you know, I'm switching from like like painting, yeah, right. So like I was still, I still wanted to be drawing like on the computer or blueprint or whatever. But that class wasn't about that at all. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, I was like interior design, and I went to observe that and that felt like bullshit so then i was like oh fashion like fashion okay. clothes that's yeah. fun right yeah. like and up until then i was such a obnoxious my mother was very fashionable growing up. right and i was constantly sort of rebelling my mother one time i was walking down the street like after school like and I spot my mother across the way. So I'm like, I walk over to mother. I was like, hey mother, like, hi, like funny running into here, running into here. She looks at me, she's like, Kazuki, your hands were ugly when you were walking down the street. And I was like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> but that's who she was, right? It was all about presentation and appearances. Oh, right? I see. She was, okay. she was beautiful and she dressed impeccably. And mm -hmm. then she, like, she was like, the world is your audience. You have to present yourself 
properly at any given moment. Gotcha. Yeah, your hands were ugly. I was like, nice to see you too, mother. <laughs> <Yeah. Right? laughs> Glad I bumped into you on the street here. That's, yeah, uh, that's, bye. that's great. Thanks. I'm going to go yeah. play with my friends now. <laughs> yeah. So like re being raised by my mother mm -hmm. with my temperament, I was always sort of like almost anti-fashion. Yeah. But I was like, okay, I need to pick something. So I was like, fashion, how hard could it possibly be? It's like stupid. It's like, you know, frivolous. It's yeah. fine. So then, uh, and then <laughs> um, I started applying to like fashion schools. Yeah. I applied to RISD, uh, Otis in California, and Parsons in New York. In Atlanta, there's an art school that had fashion in yeah. And I, I lived in D.C. for a couple of years. So I kind of wanted to go somewhere warm. Yeah. So I was like looking at Florida, oh, like yeah. Texas, yeah. Atlanta. But there's in no other place that had fashion um, program. And I sent in, you know, in for art school. It's still art school. So you send in portfolio yeah. and do a, like a take home test. School in Atlanta accepted me without me visiting the school. Oh, like, wow. On the spot. And um, Patty went to RISD, school in Atlanta. Yeah, and RISD and Parsons and um, Otis was still like I was going through that uh, submitting a take home test oh, yeah. process. Like, like one of my favorite was uh, draw a bicycle. I was like, yeah, of course you have to draw a bicycle. So I was like drawing a bicycle and sending it in and stuff. But Georgia school, I can't remember. It was arts and I, I understand that school is now a huge, like very prestigious school. There's a uh, there's a arts school in Savannah called the Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD maybe for that. short. Maybe that. That's down I in Savannah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that. And there's like, the Art Institute in Atlanta. I don't remember which one. It yeah, I don't remember if the AI is even there anymore. Honestly, the Art Institute of Atlanta. I'm not even sure yeah. if it's there anymore. But so what that school did was they assign you an advisor mm -hmm. the moment you're accepted. To just check on you, right? Like check up on you, like every week, call you and say, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, like can't wait for you to come. I think their job is to make sure that these kids actually attend their school, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, and then I became friendly with this advisor lady, and every every week she would call, and I'll I'll just tell her what I, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I I worked in Japanese restaurant. I was like, yeah, I got tip, you know, I got a good tip last night or whatever, right? Like, or like I went out with my friends, or like I, well, I just drew this cherry tree, came out really good, whatever. And one day I get an acceptance letter from Parsons and the lady calls. She was like, hey, what's up? What's new? I was like, oh, I just got accepted from Parsons, but um, I'm coming to your school anyway, so whatever. So the lady goes, I'm not supposed to tell you this. <laughs> like if my boss found out, I will get fired. But you want to study fashion, you got into Parsons. It's not an easy school to get into. You go to Parsons. And like in hindsight, she saved my career. Yeah, yeah. Because that I've was super cool of her. Yeah, I've been in a position where I ha I had to hire assistants. You get stack of resume like this. Right. Right. For and first thing you do is to pull out the schools that you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Of so course, I'm pulling yeah. out FIT Parsons, RISD, right, and Otis. Everybody else gets dumped. So if I would okay. have been dumped, like if I had been applying for a job, yeah. the Kazuki is screening <laughs> right. as a design director, I wouldn't have gotten a job. Yeah, you would have dumped yourself out in the in the in the, <laughs> in the, in the reject pile, essentially. Right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not now because I think that school is now like a 
has a pretty good reputation yeah, in terms yeah, of um, yeah, fashion yeah. design. But back then they kind of didn't. Right. So yeah, that lady like, and I was like, but it's a really expensive school, and I can't ask my grandmother to pay for it. And she was like, ask your grandmother to pay for it, and you go to Parsons. <laughs> you go to New York. You want to study fashion? You go to New York. What are you gonna do in in Georgia? I was like, I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then I ended up at Parsons. Awesome. So that I, I I mean I can't remember the name. Like if I looked at anything, I mean. Yeah. I don't think I kept any documents, like emails, like I was like pipeline or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, say the Savannah College of Art and Design is a big arts school in the yeah, South. Yeah, that, that might that might have been it. I've known two or Savannah. three people to graduate there. In fact, the guy that did uh, you can't really see it. The guy that did this tattoo, uh-huh. uh huh, is a graduate of uh, SCAD of Savannah College of Art and Design. And I mean, I've met fashion designers who are younger than me yeah. by a couple of decades, who are highly skilled that came out of that school. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in fact, a good friend of mine, his daughter, uh, just graduated from SCAD, what, two weeks ago or whatever. Uh, I'm not, she did graphic design. I'm not sure exactly what she's going to be doing. But what she does now is she streams on Twitch um, she's do, she does art, she does anime style art like all the time, and she's got all these subscribers, and they just watch her create art all the time. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, and she's digging it, and my my buddy Phil's like, hell, she's making money, she can draw whatever she wants to. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah cool. she's digging it. Yeah, I guess she had a she built up a following while she was at school, and now she's back home at least temporarily, and now she's just you know she's just drawing for people. So yeah, it's actually it's actually pretty cool. Well. Uh, so if anybody listening, first of all, thanks for uh, tuning in. And uh, in addition to the uh, fashion world that Kazuki is a part of, we also share a commonality. Uh, you heard us speak about Penzik. Penzik is a sort of a hybrid SCA event. Uh, it's not strictly an SCA event because, uh, you know, people from outside of the SCA also attend. It's an annual uh, event that takes place in uh, western Pennsylvania, about 45 minutes from where I am here. That's when I first met Kazuki at our camp at Penzik, probably in what, 2000? When did you, how, when, when was your first Penzik? Let me ask you that. 1994? Okay. All right. Maybe? So a good six or seven years before I started going then. But I didn't camp at uh, I didn't camp at Orlock my first Penzik. I camped up the hill up on Horde Hill. Yeah, I did. I didn't camp at Orlock for maybe first three four years. Oh, okay. All right. Th three years maybe. So I pro so you and I probably first met in Orlock at in probably two thousand and two or three something like that. Because right, I'm right. trying it's to remember. It's been a long friendship. It, it has. It's been a while, yeah. Because I'm, I'm trying to remember. Because a, a friend of mine and I, uh, I say that first year in 2001, we camped up on Horde Hill. And we uh, didn't like it for various and sundry reasons. That, that <laughs> I could do a whole other show about that one camping mm -hmm. trip. But anyway, 
Um, and we begged Carla to let us camp with her. So it had to have been like 02 the first time I camped there. We begged Carla to let us camp at Orlock with you guys. Yeah, so in addition to uh, uh, fashion and in addition to uh, Penzik and the SCA, uh, Kazuki is a uh, is a fairly accomplished drummer as well, at least more accomplished than I am, which isn't saying a whole lot, to be perfectly honest. Uh, she and her husband, Sado, actually, uh, Sado is a, an amazing, amazing drummer. Uh, my first, and this is probably one of my earliest recollections of you as well, um... It would had to have been O two, maybe O three. I didn't really know anybody, uh, so I was basically well, except for Ted and Carla. So I was basically just you know trailing behind Ted and Carla whenever they'd go to parties or whatever. I just go with them, you know. And we were right. sitting at uh, probably Dalradia. I think it was Dalradia, and you know they had a big fire going and people were drumming and jamming and hanging out, and. People were trying to get Sato to drum, and he's like, no, 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 no. So finally he gave in, he's like, okay. And then he proceeded to 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 drum on this Doomback for like half an hour. And it was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. And you were, I remember you were sitting right beside him and keeping up with him too. And it was just, I, it's just the most, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. You know, everybody has that Pinsic moment, quote unquote. That was one of them for me because I had just never seen anything like that online in person anywhere it was just it was just amazing it, it really yeah was. He, he is he is something else on a doom back for sure <laughs> yes he is what so obviously you guys both played doom back uh what other sort of um uh, what's a per, percussion what other percussion instruments do you guys uh play like even semi-regularly well he plays trap set oh okay all right so yeah. actual okay all right yeah i mean he you know he grew up um, I think the first thing he picked up was like Doomback uh, age, I forgot he said, like 12 or something. Mm -hmm. But um, like he loves Tito Puente, right? So like, and he loves, uh, he played in a, he had a, he had a band with his buddies, like gang members in the Bronx. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> he talks about how like he was protected because the band leader was also the leader of the gang, like Puerto Rican gang in the Bronx. So he was like off limits. So he, yeah. he was, you know, totally safe at school or whatever. Yeah, they they um they made their own songs and he said guitarist was amazing. That sounded like Jimi Hendrix or something. Nice. Yeah, okay. so he, he yeah, he did rock and roll. He still has rock and roll drums and yeah. he's trying to get rid of uh, like double bass Yamaha. Oh wow, yeah. And there are too many trap sets. Um he did go to Berkeley briefly up in in Boston yeah um to study jazz oh, okay. um, so like you know he he's he does he's done he grew up on Balkan yeah. Romani music he is at home but um his music taste is is pretty vast that's and good in, yeah interest in music is pretty big that's awesome. and um I picked up Dumbek really because of SCA mm-hmm and then I pursued it because I liked it. And um, I've also taken workshops in Conga. Oh, neat. Okay. There was there used to be a place called uh, Drummer's Collective in New York mm -hmm. where um, this guy, John Namira, was teaching Conga workshop every week. And I, I took that for a while. That's fun. Is that sort of more Caribbean rhythms on the Conga? He did. So he was very knowledgeable. He was like an encyclopedia. So he, he was like Latin American. Okay, yeah. Right? But he could name where it originated in like 
specific parts of Africa. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, um, so that was, that's really cool. So I think, and I love Latin music Mm -hmm. in general. Yeah. Like I like, and I love West African drumming, of course, Mm -hmm. although I've never pursued that. So I I like the complex, like different genre of music, especially in percussion has different types of complexity, Mm -hmm. right? Like Middle Eastern and Balkan rhythm, a lot of times they're complex in like meters itself, right? right? They would have like 15, 16th or like Gee, nine eight yeah. or like right, right. seven eight or something and, or 13 or 11 or whatever it goes with a specific yeah a lot of the middle eastern rhythms are are are, uh, are like that as well just very yeah to like somebody for me who grew up with you know four four right you know regardless of you know what you always heard four four whatever it was on the radio um when i was first uh, introduced to uh middle eastern music at pinzik of course or just all of the various types of music that you hear just walking around Pensick. Yeah. You know, because I, I, I did a little bit of, of musical training in my background, but I mean, that was so long ago that I, and because so I pick up on something and I'll be like, what is that? I, I, I know it's different, but I can't, yeah. but I don't know like what it is or where it comes from. I'm like, that just sounds very different, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so Near Eastern, Middle Eastern, Balkan music, like, complexity a lot of times mm-hmm. in in percussion comes from the meter itself where like latin and like west african at least mm-hmm. complexity comes from like polyrhythmic or just sort of each percussionist playing different parts and when it mashed together it turns into this like cacophony <laughs> of different hits in different places right. kind of thing that kind of complexity is really interesting to me um so I, I, I just i like different types of music that way and and i think i'm all i've always listened to music that way so there i, I appreciate pretty much every genre of music ex- except for particular like i can't understand grateful dead i don't understand that attraction my uncle is a huge deadhead i mean he like back in the day he like followed them around on tour and stuff like that i mean he's a hippie from way back and loves grateful dead i can see the appeal but i don't understand the cultishness of (laughs) the uh the, the following if you if you see what i'm saying yeah, there because yeah. like I've got a couple of Grateful Dead, uh, you know, I've got some on LP, not a lot, but I got a couple on LP. I've got a CD, like a, a greatest hits CD, you know, and I play them every now and then on on the station on Signal to Noise, and it's kind of to me, it's kind of the precursor of because in the seventies, like Southern rock and country rock became really huge, like the Eagles and the Allman Brothers and Leonard Skinner and that kind of stuff. To me. I mean, and granted, the dead came from San Francisco, so it was a vastly different sort of, um, you know, uh, environment that they that they came up in. There, the style of music sort of to me is almost like a precursor to the country or the southern rock or country rock that just exploded in the '70s. And I'm I'm not a big fan of most of, like uh, Leonard Skinner. I hate Leonard Skinner. I always have. I actually worked at a classic rock radio station for several years. Hated him every time I played him. And Jamie would just be just dumbfounded that I didn't like Leonard Skinner. I'm like, dude, I just can't. And like the Eagles, 
don't like the Eagles. There are exceptions to all of those bands, you know, okay, okay, that's a cool song, and okay, that's an all right song. So, but yeah, I'm kind of with you on the Grateful Dead. It's not that I dislike them. It's just that I, I really, ne- I haven't gotten into, it's one of the bands I never really got into because the music just didn't grab me. I mean, there's a couple songs that I like, but I, I just didn't, it just didn't really grab me. And like I said, I don't understand the whole cult of Grateful Dead. It's, it's really boring to me. I think I, like there's no complexity in yeah, terms of yeah. rhythmical structure or mm-hmm. a melodic line. That it, it's it feels like background music mm-hmm. to me, which is it's I'm gonna get crucified for this because people <laughs> love them so much, but I, I find them really boring. I don't understand. Well, part of the appeal I think is because they will. I mean, obviously they don't tour anywhere. I think Bob Weir tours a little bit, but they would release an album and they'd have X number of songs on there. And then when you got them in concert, the songs that they had recorded and released on the album were just sort of a framework. That's what that's they're like the original jam band. So they would, you know, like a four minute song, they could stretch out to like fifteen or twenty minutes and they because they they would just jam and and I don't want to say the whole purpose behind it, but people in the in the audience would be either, you know, tripping on acid or they'd be I mean seriously they'd be tripping on acid they'd be they'd be you know they'd be high as a kite and dancing and you know and they being the audience those 20 minute long jam sessions they were all about it cuz they could just dance and just zone out for that 20 minutes and then they'd change to the next song and do it all over again and that's one that's one of the appeals I think is the the uh, the the jam aspect. I mean, they would they would have a, a song and then they would just sort of branch out from a from a song. It was just a, basically an excuse to start a whole another jam, jam session. Right. Well, maybe maybe um, if I heard them live. But I mean, I, I like the jam session aspect. Yeah, like yeah. in jazz, right? Like oh, jazz. Yeah. When when they go into jam session, mm-hmm. they are so complex. They're right. playing with like like math right mm-hmm. like there's playing with spaces and yes. like timing and stuff it's right? very much more technical than than like uh, grateful dead yes right so i mean that if it's something like that i understand but mm-hmm. like yeah like i like all music except for grateful dead stuff <laughs> and and gangster rap like t- too aggressive like i like rap i like hip-hop yeah not gangster rap there is actually, and I, and I get the stink eye from other, because I've got a couple more DJs that, uh, you know, for the station, and one in particular, she's old school rock. She worked at the same at the classic rock station, same one I did for a while, and uh, she, uh, I always, because you know, on Saturday nights we do, well, I say we, I do the uh, Saturday dance party, so it's just dance music from like 9 p.m. to midnight, right? Oh, I should listen. to Yeah, that. yeah, you should tune in for sure. And it's um, I don't I don't beat mix because I don't have the software for it, and plus I you know I, I could download and learn the software, but I just am lazy if nothing else. But anyway, takes takes time. Yes, it does. So, but it's three hours of dance music, and then that's like you know it's trance, it's EDM, it's hip hop, uh, gangster rap sometimes because it has a beat, you know. And uh, some of the some I know I don't I have a lot of it. See with the, with the station, it I have I'm limited by what I actually own music wise. Right, right. So I can't just 
go on I don't even know Napster isn't a thing anymore but I can't go on to one of these services and download a bajillion songs because right. technically I don't own them and because the way the licensing works I have to actually own you know the the music like have it on its physical format or I've purchased it like from uh, Amazon or something but uh, so I don't own a lot of it honestly but I've got an NWA CD I've got Exhibit I've got DMX and there's some good danceable stuff in there well, DMX, yeah. Some of the DMX yeah. stuff is yeah. danceable, yeah. And, uh, and I think I just realized when I say some music is boring, I think a lot of time, e even if I just talk about complexity and stuff, I think I'm always wanting to it to be almost danceable. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, uh, Saturday night, uh, well, JD, who's the one that gives me the stink eye, uh, although she'll, she'll play some, some weird stuff every now and then, her show's on from 7 to 9. My show, the the uh, Saturday Dance Party, uh, goes from 9 p.m. to midnight. So just go cool. to uh, stnradio.com and hit the play button on there. And, you know, just have it on in the background. I mean, a lot of, yeah. I think a lot of people do that. And, and we do broadcast 24 hours a day, so there's always music going. Uh, it's, we're just not always, you know, it's not always a live DJ. We've got a... We've right. got an uh, an auto DJ uh, at the uh, at the the service that I just uploaded like a bajillion songs to, and that just plays them randomly, That's which is cool. fun because um, because we have no format. I've got everything from gangster rap to classical, and I think I've got some uh, uh, I got some bluegrass on there somewhere. And you never know what the auto DJ is going to come up with. It it makes for an interesting mix of music, which is That's kind of cool. fun. I like I've that. got Turku on there. Oh, nice. uh, yeah, yeah. I actually talked to Ted. I was like, uh, you know, I asked him. I said, you know, because they don't, uh, I, I, they own the catalog, but like they just sort of put it out there for the public. You know, they don't like sell CDs or anything anymore. And right. I, I just wanted to be sure. I was like, look, I've got Oslim. I've, I've only got the one CD of theirs because their CDs are hard to find, believe it or not. I know the people that created the music and I can't buy any of their damn CDs. But anyway. Don't they have downloads? Uh, they're on, I think they're all on, I think all their music is on Bandcamp or Spotify or one of those kind of services. I think you Bandcamp, can, yeah. You can get it all, yeah. Um, but I asked Ted, I was like, do you mind if I play your music? And he was like, I was like, hey, we have no format. So he's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know, said as long as, you know, if somebody asks, you give me credit. I was like, well, yeah, of course. But, um, yeah, so I play, uh, Turku. Uh, there's a, there was a group, uh, called Ajnahara. I uh, I actually saw them at a um, at a um, Renaissance festival. They were they were doing a drum jam outside of their uh, uh, outside of their booth, and of course I was immediately drawn to it. And I was like, oh, you guys are awesome!" So I bought their CD, and I've had that for probably twenty years or more. I mean, they may not even be a thing anymore, but uh, it's right. a it's an interesting CD, and I'll play them on the dance party sometimes because oh, it's cool. yeah it's it's uh, you know it's good and you know a couple of those Turku tunes are uh, a little bit more upbeat and they're dancey, so I'll play those yeah, yeah. you know yeah so yeah but it's a lot of fun so yeah you guys should uh, you guys should definitely uh, should definitely I'll check it that. out for sure. Oh man! So what? Uh, so you're I guess you're uh, gonna be like everybody gonna be looking forward to Penzik next summer. Mm-hmm. What do you guys have coming up in the meantime? You doing any cool things for like vacation? You doing any traveling? You just gonna keep your nose to the grindstone until next summer when you can do? Or what are you? What's going on? Well, I don't know yet, but um, for for my business, so I've been 
preaching about right like size inclusivity mm -hmm. and equality in fashion and sure. stuff right so i think we i am going to create a, a small label within my business oh nice okay that is gender neutral and size inclusive for men and women okay so that is like a, a bit of a goal to to have a presentation of some sort done for the next new york fashion week which is february oh okay all right so that's that's a thing that i'm planning on. gives you some time to work on it you talk about this coming up february then yeah so so let the, me just um, from a technical standpoint let me ask you this because i really obviously i don't know a lot about uh, fashion but if you're doing gender gender neutral clothing, I need to. I've been drinking a hard cider, so. <laughs> gender. Oh, I've been drinking minty. Minty. Oh well. Okay. Um, <laughs> I I normally don't drink cider, but we had leftover from uh, when you know we had a bunch of friends over for Drew's graduation, so we had some oh, leftover. Nice. Yeah. How would you go about sizing, like, say, a pair of pants? Like, so would you go like we, inches, like waist do for like waistbands for men, or how? I mean, how would you do that? So we're calling it ben gender neutral, mm -hmm. but in the back side of it, like the way we're gonna actually do it is essentially to have exactly the same style of clothing, okay, but have multiple patterns ready to go. Hmm. Right. So, and you know, with especially with um gender identities being more accepted yep. accepted in a society mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. you might have been born in in a, a male body but you identify as a woman right and you want to wear this you you particular you like this particular pair of pants that you see on my website right that and that hopefully on my website that pant will be worn by um a transgender person and a woman and a man in different body shapes, right? Okay. But the secret to that is that means for each style, we are creating potentially six separate patterns. Wow. So the, this pimp could have like, I think men's pattern and sync sort of what we call um, straight size mm -hmm. and plus size. Okay. And we are discussing having extra plus size hmm. okay and we have to actually look into it to see if that's needed for women's size definitely needed right someone mm -hmm. who is like size four and size 18 their shape of the body is different so, yeah, for sure. so that pant yeah. we need definitely like size like a straight size range mm -hmm. from like around four and bottom end of plus size range which is like size 18 and around mm -hmm. and size 22 I don't know if you know anyone who is size 22. Size 22 women's body do not look like size 18 body, women's right, body. Right. So create a separate pattern for that. Okay. So each, um, I don't want to say gender, I don't know what to call it, yeah. um, would have three patterns each okay. potentially. And based on the photograph on my website, you tell me you want what that person is wearing in this size. Okay. You don't need to know that we have six patterns that we generated these patterns mm -hmm, from. Mm -hmm. We will, based on what you tell us, we will ship you the right pant. Interesting. That is as very as, cool. As far as you're concerned, it is gender neutral. Yeah. And you don't need to know as an end use co consumer that right. all the technical side of it. But yeah. I think that 
we know that's what it takes to make sure the garments fits humans and that's that's what 99% of the brands are not doing not doing so we're we're trying to put this like you know what what we preach into practice mm-hmm. And and because you know we're kind of talented designers as well, so we're gonna we're gonna do some cool stuff. Nice in terms of aesthetics. That sounds so. You said Fashion Week is February in New York. September and February. So um, September. Wait, September. This yeah, coming up, September, September. In other words. Yeah, like August, September, and February. So sep- August is like the spring presentation okay, and right. february is the fall presentation okay well that makes sense because you do it ahead of the ahead of the right. season so yeah that but makes sense the fashion industry is also shifting right now oh. so a lot of people are brands are doing see now buy now thing mm-hmm. so like we actually we we just we're having um a lot of designers are showing shows now so no longer september it's like july they're actually showing fall 2021 Traditionally, oh, wow. it used to be spring 2022, but a lot of, because the fashion industry has had a lot of wastage mm-hmm. with inventories and just producing too much right. of the raw goods mm-hmm. or the, the end use product. So a lot of designers are trying to change that by not projecting too early. Right. Well, and the I would imagine the pandemic probably interrupted a lot of those schedules too. Like, oh, we have, you know, this line coming out and oh, well, we can't have everybody in this building together to do all that. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, a lot of them are uh, resorting to like virtual shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my plan also it's going to be a February show, but it's going to be um like seasonless. We're not going to just call it fall. Gotcha. Just gonna call this is like just a new line, not the new fall line, not the new summer. Exactly, it's just yeah, a new yeah. line. All right, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's my plan. very interesting. That's, okay, that's a bit of a big deal, and I'm, yeah. I'm putting uh, inspiration boards together now. I started sketching, fabric shows, big fabric shows coming up next week, two weeks, two, next week in New York. So I'm gonna go start looking at fabrics and stuff. So that's that's a bit of a big deal because I yeah. never. Again, I was I'm lazy, so I never <laughs> wanted my own business. I never wanted my own label. And now look at you. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. That's right. So uh, one one last thing. Uh, so I know you guys used to live like in the city, or where did you guys live before you moved out to the suburbs there? Uh, Queens. Oh, in Queens. Okay. All right. I, I knew you lived in the city, but I'll be honest with you. I've been to New York City tw- twice, I think. The first time I went to New York City, I was probably 13, maybe 14. Um, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, yeah. I mean, uh, the the Statue of Liberty was in the scaffolding. They were refurbishing the Statue of Liberty. Oh, so right. okay. whatever year that was, that's one or whenever that was, that's one of the uh, the first time we went. And then in geez, let me think. This was before Drew was born, so that's been a while too. Uh, the last time I went was uh, Patty and I went uh, stayed with her aunt in uh new jersey and then hopped the train and went into new york and spent some time in the city did a lot of the touristy stuff of course but you know you should come back well yeah we we plan on it because um she still has uh friends and family in new jersey and we want to take drew to the city 
you know, and uh, definitely if we make it out there, we'll uh, we'll definitely give you guys a heads up because we'd love to hang out with you guys for a while. That'd, That'd be, be awesome. Cool, yeah. That would be awesome, yeah. And Let's if you it. guys happen to find yourself in the, you know, in the western Pennsylvania area, definitely, uh, definitely give me a shout, you know. Yeah, I love Pittsburgh. So, and, you know, you and a lot of other friends are yeah. like happy. Christine is there. Yeah, well, all, all the hammers are. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, definitely. We'll take you around. I mean, you guys could, you know, you guys could probably spend weeks here and just go from house to house of people that you know in Pittsburgh. Quite honestly, yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, we'll we definitely uh, go out and show you the town or whatever, and you know, something besides the woods. You know, up and up at uh, Cooper's Lake, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm I'm part of a band with. Joe, Jen, oh right, 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 and and Marta and Katie, and we have a bit of a repertoire now. So we're okay. with pandemics, it got halted, halted, but yeah. we've been we're starting to rehearse now. Nice. So we were like vaguely talking about like you know going to places like Pittsburgh. We did have a gig in Pittsburgh once, um, but we need to go back to Pittsburgh. Yeah, definitely. Right? Well, give us uh, give us a heads up, and uh, we'll come and see the show, and we can all hang out. That would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be so much fun. Yeah, it would be tons of fun. Uh, some some fun that I might even remember. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not gonna say that Kazuki has seen me drunk before, but Kazuki has seen me very drunk before. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> couple of times, just couple, couple of two, times. two, maybe three times, yeah. right? I mean, you give me that pepperoni. Um, the the pepperoni roll rolls, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I might not mention it. Okay, all right. I'll bribe you with pepperoni rolls and Aunt Becky's uh, chocolate chip cookies. Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, go ahead and uh, plug your business and your websites and all that stuff before we go. Okay, so my business is called Kedic Fashion Workshop, and website is kedicworkshop.com, which is K-E-D-I-C workshop, one word, dot com. Perfect. Yeah, so if you want to start your own brand or if you know someone who owns a brand that you think should do size-inclusive things, send them my way. Awesome. Awesome. And I will keep my eyes open, too. I actually have a friend who lives in central Pennsylvania who's got a, uh, uh, like a print, sh- not, not a print shop, but a, uh, it's, it's more than a t-shirt shop. He does prints and stuff there as well, but, I mean, he also prints t-shirts. And he was just in Pittsburgh this past weekend, actually, at a uh, at a show in, in the mall, actually. So I rode over to, to see oh, cool. him. Yeah, he's got his own, own t-shirt brand, and he does prints and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, mainly send me his info because I'm always looking for like vendors that we can work with. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, I'll email you. We have clients like scattered all over the country. Okay. So if there if if we have right now, we don't have any clients in Pennsylvania. But if and when we do, it would be good to have people that's, you know, close to the client. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's in central. He's. I don't remember the name of the little town. It's in central Pennsylvania somewhere. He's like, like city, three hours. City, co- like the uh, state college area? Yeah, probably. Yeah, something okay. like that. He's like three hours from Pittsburgh and probably about two hours away from Philly or something like that, too. Two and a right, half from yeah. Philly. Okay. Yeah. Somewhere like right in the middle of the state. But anyway, well, cool. Well, hey, uh, th- it was, first of all, it was really good to see you and to hang out and talk and stuff like that. And I can't wait till we get to do it sitting around a campfire, drinking too much alcohol and, and, and laughing at our stupid jokes. <laughs> yes, and roasting marshmallows. And, and I will bake the cake. 
I will bake. The oh cake. yes, the the cake in the fire. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you you actually got pretty good at that. You've actually I know. Well, thanks to Ron. Good. I need Ron's help. Though, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> He's kind of a genius when it comes to that, cooking out in the woods. Of course, that's what they do all the time. They're always right. They're always yeah. roughing it over there. So they're they're pioneer people. They kind of are. Yeah, they're for sure. Yeah. Have you seen any of their pictures lately? They've been they they yeah. did like a living history thing. Couple what was that like a month ago maybe. Yeah, they look amazing. Oh man, and Nifa, I, I tell you, the the clothing that she makes is just astounding amazing. to me. Amazing. We've mm. we've hung out with them a couple times, and she's like, "Oh, I just threw this together," and she's got one of the body forms in her living room with this. That's just like it just came like stepped right out of the 1800s. I mean, just yeah. amazing, amazing stuff that she amazing. does over there. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get one of the I'm gonna have to get them on a on a session too and talk to them because oh, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, yeah, that would be fun, and I'm gonna. Let everybody like on the uh, not on the SCA page, but like on the Orlock page, know that we did this when it gets put out, so people can listen to it and whatnot. Well, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time, and uh, no, of you know, thanks for thanks for talking with me. Yeah, absolutely. This has been fun, and uh, maybe after you get your uh, your new brand and everything kicked off here, maybe we can do it again a little bit later. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. You've been listening to Noise Tangent. Find Ketik Fashion Workshop at ketikworkshop.com. Noise Tangent is a production of Wind Up Creations Media and is copyright 2021. The music you're hearing is by Streambeats. Find them at streambeats.com for free music for your podcast, YouTube video, or stream. Go to stnradio.com for all of the latest information. Thanks for listening.